the schools that focused mostly on synchronous moments, like, you know, just broadcasting classes as if yeah. they were before and sending a list of activities for students to do at home, these are failing dramatically. The schools that have reorganized the schedule with smaller blocks of time for synchronous and asynchronous activities, those schools that have used those strategies, I mean, it's just like completely different levels of engagement. Hello everyone, this is the producer Bass and welcoming you back to another episode of Wise Words, the show where we talk to the world's leading minds in education and beyond. Joining us in this episode to discuss personalized adaptive learning technologies is Claudio Sasaki, co-founder and CEO of Brazilian edtech startup Geeky. Before we start, feel free to reach out to us on our social media channels through the links in the description and don't forget to subscribe to Wise Words if you haven't done so already on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud or your preferred podcast app. We'll now switch to the host and CEO of WISE, Stavros Yunuka, to kick off the show. I'm Stavros Yanuka, CEO of WISE, and my guest today is Claudio Sasaki, the co-founder and CEO of Geeky, uh, a Brazilian uh, edtech company uh, recently recognized by Wired UK as one of the most important uh, social innovations in the world. Claudia himself was also recognized with a Schwab Foundation Social Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Geeky is a pioneering uh, company in terms of its use of uh, technology to deliver personalized learning on a massive scale. Uh, More than 5 million students uh, have already used uh, its solutions here to tell us more uh, about this is Claudio himself. Claudio, welcome to Wise Words. Thank you, Stavros. Thanks for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. Claudio, I think uh, I I obviously gave a a very potted introduction of you (laughs) and and Geeky. Please, please do uh, elaborate a little more and uh, and tell us exactly what it is that that, that Geeky does. Well, absolutely. It's, um, as, as you mentioned, we started Geeky about eight years ago. And it was it was created in Brazil. And as a I have a Japanese descent, but I was born and raised in Brazil. Um, studied and worked in the U.S. for um, many years. Then when I came back, it was just so um, it has such a great impact on me to see the unequal access to high quality education that we face as a country. So. Uh, despite having a career in the financial sector um, in, for many years in New York, it was back in 2011 when I decided to sort of quit my previous career and launch Geeky. And the whole idea was, I didn't mention that I was a teacher while in Brazil throughout my college years. I was a teacher for seven years. So I think a lot of the learnings from that time was that, you know, uh, each person learns in a different way. And that was so strong for me. So when we saw the opportunity to use technology to personalize learning, but at, at a massive scale, um, using data to be more assertive and effective. I mean, that, that's, that's the reason why we, we did so. And I think over the years, it's been, um, you mentioned 5 million students, right? Stavros? We are close to 12 now. Oh wow! Okay, so we are we are woefully out of date then with our uh, 
with our intro. That's that's well, that's that's great. You know. Yeah. I'm glad I, we're I mean, wrong on the on the low side and not the <laughs> not the high side. Yeah, I mean, and and it's been essentially when we started the in the early days, it was really about in Brazil we have a national admissions exam. It's a very high stakes exam. Yeah. Um, in those days, it was about nine to 10 million people that were taking that exam once a year. If you fail, you have to wait another year. And it was the only entry point for people who wanted to go to a free public universities. So mm-hmm. pretty important stakes. And we, we focused first on that. So it was really a um, using intelligence to personalize the study plan, the curriculum for each student, combining you know, different medias, different types of content. Yeah. to personalize that plan. So as I said, it was, it's been roughly 12 million students, mostly from public schools throughout the country. A third yeah. of them adults who didn't finish high school trying to go to college. Um, we were in 99% of the cities in Brazil. We became the official government platform in 2016. And what we saw was on average, like a, 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 an improvement in learning outcomes about three times more than those students who use, you know, traditional textbooks. And, and what, what kind of exams are you, you know, is it, I mean, mathematics, I'm sure is there, language. Yeah, in Brazil, the full exam covers 14 different subjects. Wow. So from Portuguese, English, math, all the way to biology, chemistry, physics, uh, history, geography, I mean, is the full spectrum. Okay. Wow. So if you want to go to university, essentially, you have to score on this yeah. exam. If you want you to go to, to score. public, yeah. Yeah, you have to score. And remember, 85% of the students in Brazil come from public schools. And, and, so, and have you, uh, what, what have been some of the outcomes? Before we get to the, the workings of the technology itself, what, sure. what have been some of the outcomes of this? I mean, I guess the first one is, is reach, right? You've been able to get to a lot of students throughout the country. Um, 65% of them access through smartphones. Um, Around 60% are women, as I said, a third adults. And in terms of learning outcomes, it's what what we have assessed from a impact perspective is, is on average a three times learning outcome improvement in scores Mm-hmm. as opposed to those students who use kind of the traditional one-size-fits-all textbooks. Yeah. So it's been, it's been quite an interesting journey for us on, on that front particularly. Yeah. Now, you, you mentioned, you know, that the, you're making use of personalized and adaptive learning. Can we, can we maybe spend a little bit of time explaining what we mean by these terms? Well, absolutely. I, I, for me, when we talk about personalized learning, it's really about meeting the needs of all learners, right? It doesn't necessarily mean, it could, but it doesn't necessarily mean using technology for that. Yeah. It's, it, it can be the usage of methodologies and strategies so that teachers can differentiate instruction based on student diversity for effective learning. So, yeah. and, and, and also, I mean, personalization it's not just one thing, right? It's a continuum that you can work on. So for example, you can have on one end of the spectrum, like the same goal, same materials, same assessment for all students, but you adjust instruction 
Yeah. And on the other side of the spectrum, you can have different goals, different assessments, activities, and materials, for example. When we talk about adaptive, for me, is really the, the outcome of a continuous decision-making process where either teachers and or machines search for and respond to academic diversity and individual differences for effective mm-hmm. learning. So, so, I mean, just, I mean, a simple example of that would be, okay, if you're working on a particular math problem, you're not, you're not able to solve it. And then, you know, the, either the, you know, either your tutor or, you know, the, the machine intelligence decides, okay, you know, maybe you haven't understood some earlier concepts. Let's shift you back to kind of learning you know, re- reminding you of these earlier concepts, and then let's move you back up to say the, you know, the 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 problem that you you're having a you know having trouble. Um, yeah, I mean that that's one example. That, yeah, that's one example for sure. The I think it, in, in the early days it was really about okay, let's try to cover gaps and go back, and I think. W- the way it has evolved is, um, okay, it's not only go back to something you didn't learn, but also um, what's, the, what's the level of difficulty? Mm-hmm. What's, what's your proficiency level yeah. in, in that particular topic? And how can not only we as a platform help you nail that, but also how can we help your school, your teacher, help you work, help them work with you on solving that issue. So, you know, I didn't mention that, but back in 16, what we started to do was bringing this platform or technologies and intelligence to a classroom environment. So we, what we did was we also um, started a solution that we call Geeky One. And the one is really one solution, one platform with the entire curriculum materials from middle and high school, including like activities, video lessons, content, agenda for students to get organized, communications, assessments, so the school can customize its curriculum. And then the way we help the students when they are at school is really um, providing information to teachers and help them in the classroom, you know, yeah. work in a more personalized way, not only individually, but also like in small teams and small groups separated with the concrete criteria based on data. That's interesting. So that this is, I mean, this is obviously well beyond simply preparing students for this one-time yeah. exam. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And again, the, the technology operates within the the construct of a traditional uh, school. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Great. So we have, it's been about, I think, um, north of 100,000 students that we are now impacting through this solution in the classrooms. Yeah. And is that, are you, again, are you mostly serving public schools with this, with this solution or is this more or geared towards private private schools? That's a very good question, Stavros. It's, it's the, the vast majority with this particular solution working with schools, it's in private schools. Yeah. The reason being, 
I don't want to overcomplicate, but the, the, the way the procurement system works for public schools is, has been historically built in a way that solutions like Geeky are not, um, don't qualify to participate. As long as you are a textbook mm-hmm. and you've been doing this for many years, you can qualify. So it's not for young or startups or newer companies like Geeky. They're not allowed to sell to public schools yet. So I hope that change one day. So the way we do is we yeah. go directly to students. We offer them scholarships, but we cannot sell to public schools yet in Brazil. I see. I see. Now, you know, obviously we're, you know, we are still um, in the midst of, of a global pandemic and yeah. in, you know, in, in many countries that has been sort of accompanied by the closure of schools and the massive shift into on, online learning. What, tell us a little bit about what the situation is like in, in Brazil and, and, and how, you know, the pandemic is, has impacted your, you know, the education system there and, and what is, you know, how is Geeky responding? Well, to the first question, um, I think you're all aware you've been reading in the press, but I guess the situation in Brazil just, you know, couldn't be worse than it is right now. Just the politicization of the coronavirus crisis and the federal government's deliberate denying social distance efforts, you know, has really, I think, condemned us to a historic tragedy that will, I think, will particularly punish the poor, you know, because they live in precarious conditions. They have no choice but to go out and work and use public transport. You know, it's, it's just getting worse. Um, so far, only the U.S. and the U.K. have lost more lives than Brazil, and we really seem poised to overtake the latter. Uh, it's been, so far, I think around north of 600,000 cases, second only to the U.S. And, and also the country is really hooked in a political drama. As you may know, we have lost two health ministers yeah. during the crisis. Uh, we have now an interim minister who is a general. This hasn't happened, I think, anywhere in the world. Uh, we just had the, the justice minister, minister quitting, insinuating that the president obstructed justice and abused its authority. And so in the midst of all this situation, I think we, we just didn't prepare ourselves properly. And when the epidemic really arrived, you know, those some measures could have had an impact in terms of isolation if they were adopted. It was just... Um, in some ways denied by the federal government. So um, it's, it's, it's very complicated. And from an educational standpoint, it's been also, I think, a, a tragic situation. We have roughly 80, 48, million thousand, or 48 million students impacted by the yeah. pandemic. Uh, more than 2 million teachers are now facing the challenge posed by the, you know, abrupt change to online learning, social distancing. The schools, all of them have been closed since mid-March. And I think this, the lack of proper coordination and leadership from the Ministry of Education has really taken a toll, particularly in public schools, who took, you know, on average, maybe a month and a half, two months to get organized and yeah. offer options so students can access like apps, digital content, TV broadcasting. But the reality is... 
Um, the last research I saw, roughly 40% of the kids uh, don't have proper internet access at home or no access at all. Wow. So yeah. what we are going to see is the gap between the rich and the poor certainly has increased during this period. And we will have to work really hard, I think, as a country to remediate the damage, right? Not only the cognitive damage, but also social-emotional uh, we will need support and remediation because most of, I mean, a lot of people live in, in very um, difficult conditions at home. You know, there's been an increase in, in domestic violence, for example. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think we're going to face uh, tough times going forward. The way we at Geeky have responded, um, I mean, we've been working remote for uh, since mid-March. It's been few months now, 200 people working from their homes. Um, the first thing we did was really to offer um, free access to all students from schools who are partners. Then we uh, took another step and we offer access to other schools from the country as well, roughly um, about 150 other schools that we were able to attend and mm -hmm. support throughout yeah. this moment. We also offer free licenses for students from public schools to access and to prepare uh, for final examinations this year. So, I mean, we are trying to do as best as we can. I don't see a scenario where we will go back to work. I mean, as we were before until the end of the year, that's for sure. Yeah. And there's been a, there's been a just recently announced, people are announcing plans to how schools are going to go back. But the reality, I think it's just still very uncertain, given the conditions here in the country, the increase in the cases being diagnosed. So, I mean, I'm very concerned for what's going to happen this year. Yeah. Now, I, I mean, thank you. Thank you for, uh, uh, for sharing your, your views, uh, Claudia. And I think you've, I mean, you've, you've highlighted, I think, in a couple of concerns that have surfaced uh, in the conversations that we've been having with people around the world that yes, I mean, on the one hand, the migration to digital has been, has been quite remarkable and impressive. On the other hand, it's really highlighted the fact that we still have a digital divide, yeah. even in, even in, you know, even in more, uh, shall we say, uh, affluent, uh, countries and, and communities that, that divide is not, uh, is still there. Um, and then, you know, if you overlay, the fact that there's also a kind of a, a physical or a space divide, meaning that if you are in an affluent household, you know, not only do you have um, access to broadband, you probably have your own room, you yeah. probably have your own desk, you know, yeah. you're, you're kind of, you know, you're, you're set up in, in a way that a lot of kids who are, you know, uh, living in very small cramped accommodation are, are simply don't have those kinds of, of, of luxuries. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and again, I mean, are you, are you seeing, um, be, beyond obviously the fact that you've opened up now, uh, you know, the, the product and the, and the service pretty much from, from what it sounds to anyone who, who wants it and can access it, you know, are you now seeing greater interest amongst the, the education sector for, comprehensive digital solutions? Is, is that something that you've 
uh, you're experiencing at this point? Yeah, I think so, Stavros. I, I, what, the way I see now, I think there's a second wave because the first one, I think schools are like in two different groups. Uh, one group was, oh, we need to do something just right now. We need to adapt quickly. We need to respond to this as best as we can because we don't know how long this will take or last. And, and I think that was a smaller, a small group. It was not the majority. Mm-hmm. I think the vast majority was, okay, let's take, let's give people vacation. Let's see what's going to happen. Let's yeah. uh, wait and hopefully, you know, this will pass and we can go back to normal. And so um, the way I see now is the schools that were in this second group, they are really struggling not only because the tools they are using are not properly adapted to this situation, but also because there's been a, a, a break in the relationship with the families. Families, for the first time, they were able to um, watch classes. They were able to see you know, how a teacher was teaching their kids from home. And the lack of engagement, I think, and the clear... Uh, learning outcomes being impacted, I think that that has really changed the relationship with this family's head with the schools. So the schools are now under tremendous pressure in terms of um, families asking for discounts um, and putting pressure on schools, you know, threatening to change and leave school and go mm-hmm. find something else. So I think there's now a realization that this is not going to change quickly even when schools return yeah it's going to be a blended return it's going to be a mm-hmm. uh, you know that we are going to have stages until things go back and it's going to take a while so i think as schools now think about 2021 and the school year um, there's been a certainly an increase in or i think realization of you know i cannot go back to normal i need to find something else to help me because there's going to be an online com- you know, component in this solution, no matter what. Yeah, no, it, it's it's interesting that you. I mean, the, the the move. I mean, the the move towards kind of asking for discounts and and kind of you know putting putting pressure on on academic institutions. Obviously, these are these are fee charging institutions. Suggests to me that there's still this perception that online distance learning is somehow it's an inferior service it's an inferior product is that i mean is that is that the sense that you're getting as well that there's still this this kind of feeling that hey you know i i'm not going to pay the same <laughs> for a kind yeah, of yeah. As, as i am for the sort of you know the real I mean, thing honestly yeah. i think so stavros and i think in most of cases it's probably it is the case because um, it was such a, a, a drastic change, right? And teachers certainly were just not prepared at all. The yeah. schools were not prepared at all. Nobody thought it would happen just, you know, overnight. And so I think in most cases, it's it's been a lower quality and for sure, particularly when we talk about the youngsters, right? Kindergarten, yeah. lower yeah. school. We have seen a lot of families just taking out their kids and not paying tuition anymore. And 
wait and see what's going to happen. That has really happened here in Brazil. So a lot of the pop private schools are struggling, losing a lot of students, particularly from the, the younger ones. And there's just a recent um, research that was uh, made public in Brazil when they say that there's a, a substantial portion of the schools that may just run out of business throughout this phase. And, but tell me how much of, you know, of, of this kind of discounting, if you will, of digital and online learning is, is down to the fact that it's, it's not really being properly utilized to the full extent of its capacities. Uh, and essentially what people are doing is they're, they're trying to recreate the classroom. Yeah. By I using agree. Zoom. So they, they stick the teacher in front of essentially a computer monitor and then you're, you know, and then the kids are sitting and, and then you're trying to essentially re- versus actually thinking hard about how can I use the technology to do things that I couldn't do in a physical setting? I mean, absolutely. And, you know, when we look at the strategies that were adopted by the majority of the schools here, it was just a defense move, right? So let's try to replicate what yeah. happened in the classroom in a different way. So it was, it was primarily teachers uh, broadcasting their classes from home without the proper resources, without the proper training, and worse, keeping the same schedule. So you would see like, you know, five, six, seven hours in a row. Yeah. Uh, teachers just giving, delivering content, and obviously engagement was just poor and yeah. learning outcomes as well. Yeah. So that that was that that was that was pretty bad. And I, I'll tell you it's schools and teachers just got lost because they there was not a rethinking or redesigning what could be done to foster learning, to foster engagement with these different tools that they had at hand. So I see the schools that have succeeded are the ones that read, they rethought their um, schedule. They rethought, you know, how they would group students. You're not limited to 30, 40 students per classroom, right? You could reorganize your schedule and not only focus on, on a cognitive or learning outcomes, but also, you know, having one-on-ones with students that are struggling having a more individualized time, just yeah. not necessarily talking about core subjects, but, you know, how they're doing, what they're struggling with, how they're feeling, and, and also being just much more proactive with families. The, the, the schools that realize that using the data to monitor, you know, who is, who is engaged, who is not engaged, who is using yeah. and proactively reached out to families and students have been much more successful than those just kind of stood quiet, you know, just uh, pitching as if their jobs right now was just delivering content. It's not. It's just much beyond that. And, and obviously, I mean, data is is something that you you must collect at, at Geeky, yeah. right? Given given the the reach. What is, I mean, what does that data tell you about technology and student engagement? I mean, how, you know, are you getting any insights into how technology can be leveraged to 
to get better engagement out of out of students? Oh, I, I mean, as I, what I can tell for sure is the schools that focused mostly on synchronous moments, like you know, just uh, broadcasting classes as if yeah. they were before, and sending a list of activities for students to do at home. These are failing dramatically. The schools that have reorganized the schedule with smaller blocks of time for synchronous and asynchronous activities, and I think most important have been following up with students on a daily basis, you know, being able to connect the students so that they don't lose the connection with the school, with teachers, with friends. Uh, those schools that have used those strategies, I mean, it's just like completely different levels of engagement. Yeah. For sure. And what we also see, Stavros, is that the schools that adopted the first strategy, their engagement levels are, are continue to drop down, mm-hmm. whereas the other ones, they continue to go up. So the gap is just increasing depending on strategies you adopt. Yeah. I mean, it sounds to me, though, I mean, even, even the, okay, the first model sounds exhausting too for i mean for from a teacher's perspective mm-hmm. um, even though one could argue well you, you know you you were kind of expected to stand and and deliver and engage a classroom for you know five six hours a day in any event, okay now you know you're doing it in front of a screen and and i do I do recognize and appreciate that actually in many respects that is that is a harder task and 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 even more exhausting but you know one could make the case okay that you know that that's you know kind of uh, what you were doing before but it sounds to me that the optimal way of engaging is actually putting even more demands on on teachers in in many ways how i mean how how have you thought about that or what have you seen rather in terms of how you know how you manage the load on teachers that you know and you because you're expecting them to deliver content you're expecting them to 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 work one on one also to do a little bit of kind of uh, counseling and and kind of social emotional support how how does a you know how does a teacher manage all of that the way I saw, I mean, the situation here, it really depended on the tools that the school chose to use. And by that, I mean um, schools that continue to work with textbooks, right, and adopted like an um, LMS type of thing to just um, mm. upload content and deliver. I mean, that has certainly taken a toll on teachers. Teachers are exhausted. The amount of work certainly increased dramatically for them and uh and also a lot of the different tasks right that they are supposed to perform right now that they didn't have to do before and the pressure from parents who are now watching their classes etc so it's just i mean we've seen the cases of teachers that are just burning out right now they need they need time off they need to take a break otherwise they're just not going to be able to to finish the year so uh, on the other hand, I think the schools that um, use or adopt the tools that are prepared for this type of situation that doesn't 
they, they do not depend on the teacher to do all the heavy lifting to mm. make the platform work yeah and allow teachers to just focus on engaging students on learning uh, get trained and yeah. use their time with you know as i said counseling one-on-ones following up with students yeah. those are the ones that are in a much more sustainable yeah. path that's for sure yeah okay and then and, and you sort of i mean in a sense you you've answered uh, the, the question because I think what what model number two does is to a certain extent it automates certain yes. certain things um, you know even down to the delivery of certain content perhaps yeah uh, and therefore frees up time for kind of more impactful activities that require you know a human connection uh, absolutely to, absolutely that's what I yeah. meant when I said yeah. that schools <laughs> then try to or that realize that, you know, this is a whole new scenario. I, yeah. I need to adapt quickly, even though I was afraid before. Now I have no other option other than go this path. Whereas the other schools that, okay, so let's now see, hopefully this will continue or it will go back to normal after a few months. And now are now struggling, not only teachers, but students as well and families. Yeah. So do you, I mean, do you feel that this moment that we're, we're experiencing represents some kind of inflection point for online digital learning or and what's your feeling? I mean, or do you think we're just going to go back to kind of business as usual when, when this is over, we're just going to breathe a sigh of relief and say, okay, let's, Let's go back to the way things things were. What's your what's your sense of of where we're at now? I, well, honestly, I think there's no way back, Stavros, to kind of the normal. And I mean, for it's it's very sad here in Brazil, but I think this situation will continue for a long time still, because you know we don't know how much time it will take to to have a vaccine and a vaccine that is available to all Brazilians. It's who knows when. Until then, I mean, technology will be important. In many cases, it can be the only way to reach out to students. There are certain yeah. families that don't feel they, they don't feel confident. They will, you know, they, they're not comfortable with sending their kids to school. They will still need to remain at home. If we have to quarantine a small group, they will need to study from home. So yeah. I think there's no way back. I, I, However, I do think that when things go back to a new normal, I mean, still, I think in some cases, there might be teachers that still will go back to the old ways of teaching in the classroom. That, that can be the case. I can see that happening because maybe just because they don't know other way to do it in the classroom. Mm. It's just what they've been trained and done for so many years. But I think what we really continue is what happens outside of the classroom when you talk about individual study through platforms not only through textbooks but with platforms that are able to personalize your um, itinerary they are able to mm -hmm. personalize your curriculum that are able to provide data to um to the school to the family i think remediation strategies will be key because right now, I mean, the gap has increased for sure. Yeah. 
when we go back to a new normal, I think remediation strategies are going to be absolutely essential for us as a country. And I don't see that changing. I hope that doesn't change in the future. And I think also the relationship between family and school, I mean, families are now much closer than they have ever been. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing. I hope that continues in the future. Is there a, I mean, just out of curiosity, is there a tradition in Brazil of of parental engagement with schools? I mean, do do you have PTA and and this kind of, uh, um, I would say, kind of parents taking on a quasi kind of governance role in in schools? Or is that a very sort of Anglo-Saxon tradition? It's more Anglo-Saxon tradition, that's for sure. I think there are some schools that have a more engaged um, parent community. But I think in general, it's really a case by case. Um, And I think it just, most places, it's when, when when they're young until like lower school, parents are usually very engaged. Middle school a little less, and high school I mean very disengaged. That's that's yeah. that's the normal here. And but there's not a there's not an organized way to do it as I know in in American schools or in Anglo-Saxon schools. You have this formal PTA associations. Yeah, they ha- they play a pretty important and organized role in most schools. In Brazil, it's very fragmented. It's not necessarily yeah. like that. But those parents that are engaged are the ones that make the most noise, you know? They yeah. really influence yeah. the decision makers, that's for sure. Just, you know, kind of one, one last sort of couple of, couple of questions is what, um, do you see any kind of downside to the use of sort of technology for personalized adaptive learning? Um, yeah, I do. I do. I mean... I think there are two two different um, approaches to that, Stavros. I think the first one is um, I, I don't think it can be a one-size-fits-all as well for the use of technology, right? I think there is a, um, for example, um, if you assume that adaptive personalized learning is efficient for every situation as a strategy, particularly in, in the classroom, Mm. I think you, you know, that's where I disagree. I think there are uh, many other different structures that can be used in the classroom or for classroom routines, like, you know, direct instruction for certain um, goals. It can be very effective. Whole class instruction, teamwork, small group work, uh, and independent study as well. I mean, so I think it really depends on the desired learning outcome. We cannot, you know, try to fit every hole with a square. It's really not the case. Um, I do think it's very efficient when we talk about um, individual learning or um, autonomous learning. That can be very efficient. But in the classroom, you know, I've seen so many other interesting strategies that are, you know, provide more engagement and, and passion with students. I don't see a case where... You know, you're going to have every student in front of a computer just working the entire schedule, you know, individually um, using um, any platforms. Um, And as you know, I have four kids and I do see uh, that they like and need different strategies to to achieve their goals. So 
I mean, that that's how I see. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's also an important socialization role. Absolutely. That school plays uh, where you do want actually kids working in, uh, in groups uh, and not necessarily following a, a, a purely personalized, dedicated path. Yeah, um, absolutely. Absolutely. And okay. again, I mean, th- it's, it's, it's a portion of the routine that I think it can be applied. But again, there's, 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 there, there are other dimensions of the school life that are equally important. And that requires socialization, group work, you know, yeah. different, different strategies. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I've got a couple, if you've got a few more minutes, Claudia, I've got a couple yep. of questions that have come in from, uh, from the audience. So the first one is by Karen Wood. And she's asking, or she's saying, it was nearly impossible to engage students not usually engaged with learning. Have you discovered ways to work with these kinds of, of students? Uh, tough question, uh, right? So, so yeah. these are kids who were kind of disengaged before. And now, okay, you're, you know, they're online and they're still disengaged. Yeah, I mean, this is... Uh, it's certainly an issue, right, Stavros? And I mean, kids kids are disengaged for a variety of reasons, right? Usually there is lack of connection with the school. We can, I mean, it can be so many different things. Um, but I guess the answer is I've seen many cases with our partner schools in which students that were disengaged before continue to be disengaged. Um, that's for sure. On the other hand, what I have also heard is, is students who seem disengaged before because they were either more shy or there was like social pressure on them. It's just for because of either their appearance or their personalities. Uh, what I've been hearing is if teachers or the school has allowed them to uh, express themselves in even in synchronous moments you know when like they're using zoom uh, it's more they feel more protected to express their views because they are from home writing on a chat for example what i've been hearing is uh, there are some cases where students that didn't participate as much before are now more active they feel more they feel safer participating and particularly in the cases of those as i said who who were under social pressure from peers there was bullying they were you know ridiculized right now they feel more safe working from their homes there's less pressure on them they're being more active and engaged the students surprisingly yeah and also to i think to your to your earlier point you know again if if the migration online to online learning is done in a way that actually frees up time for teachers to engage more in one-on-one interactions, then that may be part of the the solution. I mean, it may not always work uh, because, you know, at at a certain point in time, obviously the the student has to want to engage and, and learn. But, but, you know, I guess it, there, I've heard other other guests here speak about uh, the the online learning model making it actually harder for students to, 
you know, to, to kind of hide, right? There's no back of the classroom anymore. <laughs> There's no back of the classroom. Yeah, everyone's face is on the screen and everyone's sitting in front. So nobody is invisible anymore. Yeah, yeah. Another question I have here is from Masa Mufti Hamwe. And he's actually asking you to give you give concrete examples of how personalized learning happens in the context of a of a lockdown. Uh, I'm not sure how the, the lockdown influences this, but but you know how does what are some concrete examples of personalized learning that you've experienced during, sure. during this time? Uh, well, let me let me talk about our experience with the schools here. Given that we have a fully digital curriculum, right in our platform, so it covers, as I said, the 14 subjects, um, all content activities, assessments, everything is in the same platform. It allows us to capture essentially every interaction that the student has with the platform. So time, participation in activities, participation in uh, synchronous and asynchronous tasks, um, percentage of... uh, you know, what, what the kids got right, what the kids got wrong. So it, instead of um, the more traditional system or materials where usually you get data from students through assessments, mm-hmm. it's, it's now a continuous assessment, right? Mm-hmm. So we basically we track everything. So as a concrete example, what we do is um, there is a dashboard that we provide to schools um, and we sit, we have weekly meetings with the schools, uh, with the principals. When we discuss engagement and learning outcomes, we essentially can analyze each student cohorts, different groups, and we prepare action plans for the week. Uh, particularly now when, you know, they're not seeing students because they're working from home the simple fact that we are able to visualize everybody, nobody's invisible anymore, right? There's no yeah. like back of the class. It's, it's, you, you see everyone. Uh, so we are able to plan with the school uh, what actions they will take with particular students. And also uh, what we do as a, through our platform at Kiki is, is weekly remediation through personalized study plans. So the idea is that nobody's left behind, that you don't let the gap increase to a point where it's just, you know, the student just disengages. And what we've been also doing is, we, so you work with the school, you automate remediation, and you proactively reach out to families and kids. So essentially it's really keeping the connection as close as we can throughout this period. So. Yeah, I hope that's a concrete example of how we are yeah, using the data yeah, to keep them engaged. No, and in, and indeed, I think you, you you've also you know provided insight into the kind of um, data that you you collect, and and I guess it's important to emphasize that when you say there's continuous assessment, there's this is assessment in in the formative sense. Absolutely. Of, Absolutely. You're not you're not evaluating them, you know, or or scoring them. You're just you're, you're tracking progress. Exactly right. The, yeah, 
Great, Claudio. It's uh, it's been a real pleasure having this conversation with you on uh, on wise words. Keep doing what you're doing. I, I hope things. Uh, I'm I'm confident that things will will improve. You're right. There's there's still a long way to go, but things will improve. And um, I, I for one, I'm I'm very thankful that there are you know folks like you that still make it possible to to deliver quality education even in these uh, circumstances. And even though we you know we're not able to reach everybody, you know it it still some is better than 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 none. Thank you again for being part of uh, part of Wise Words. No, thank you, Stavros, and thank you, you know, to to Wise as well for for being such an inspiration for us, a source of um, knowledge and and content and people that we can reach out to. It's always inspiring. And again, I mean, the fact that we don't feel alone, the fact that we see other people from other countries, it's very important for us on a daily basis because, you know, as I said, we are going through tough times. And so, I mean, we have to be optimistic. I think we need to go through this phase so things will be hopefully better in the future. So uh, thank you again for the invitation and very happy to be part of WISE. A big thank you to Claudio Sasaki for joining us in this discussion and thank you for tuning in. Once again, if you liked this episode, don't forget to let us know by reaching out to us on our social media channels through the links in the description. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you want more from Wise Words. Thanks for tuning in and looking forward to having you here next time. All the best.